0: All right, let's open our Bible again, please, back to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, there's three studies I'd like to bring in this section. Long time ago I was, uh, I've been doing this for 41 or 2 years now, preaching mission meetings, giving the faith promise 45 years, but the Lord dealt with my heart a long time ago about this statement I'm about to make and this explains why I'm doing what I'm doing. My job is not raising money. My job is preaching truth. Amen. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit to direct you into all truth. See, one of the things that I learned young in my work in missions, I don't want you filling out a free promise commitment on a high emotional moment or a high exciting moment. Say, why, if you do, when excitement's down, giving goes down. When emotions die, giving dies. But if we can learn truth and then let the Spirit of God work truth in our life, then it'll stay with us throughout the year and the giving will be sustained and faithful to the glory of God. Brother the way, to appreciate the presentation, I got to make two statements if I have an opportunity to do that, I permission to do that, but I don't want to do it anyway, so anyway, amen. If my memory's correct, I believe C.I. Schofield was saved with the gospel track. Is that right? Do you remember, preacher? Is that correct? You know? Taylor Hudson was saved by reading the gospel track. If my memory's correct, I didn't plan to... that, so I didn't brush up on the info, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. But I have my own story to tell, so I'm going to tell it. Most of you done heard this, I guess. My little track, Do You Want Peace, that you have used here for a number of years, when it was just black and white, a copy of it made it to the country of Nigeria. A man read it, was saved by the grace of God, and it would be three years later that I would hear about it. He wrote me a letter. During that three years' time, the Pentecostal crowd came in and swept him off his feet, and he went with them. And But he said he knew something was not right. And so he said the Holy Spirit dealt with him. He said, find the track. He'd given it to another friend to take it across the mountains to another city over there. He said, find the track. Get the address and write the man who gave you the truth about salvation. He'll give you the truth about the church. And so when he did, he wanted me to come. Uh, and I got a letter from him and told me said, since you're, this is three years now later, I got the letter from him. He said, since you're our father in the faith, we want you to come preach our first revival for us, our first crusade, I believe he called it. Now, I could not go. But I sent him my book laying on the table back there on basic Bible doctrines. I sent him also my book on the Holy Spirit. That refutes, that refutes all the erroneous teachings that I know of in the Pentecostalism. When they finished teaching through that, he established one night, preacher, they voted one night, just one Sunday night, and became an independent Baptist church building upon the doctrines that were laid out in the Word of God. And then we've kept contact some through the years. I hear from him every three or four years. The last time I, he called me, he it was Thursday morning. I think you don't even realize the difference in time situation. So he, if my phone rings at 4 o'clock in the morning here, it's 10 o'clock in the morning over there. So he called me, and it's says Thursday. And he said, he uh, calls, me, calls me Reverend Blue. I don't like that name, but Reverend Blue. And he said, uh, this is Brother James. And then he goes on to say, we want you to preach for us Sunday. This is Thursday. I'm in Georgia. He's in Nigeria. Sunday. And before I could say no, he said, yeah, we got it worked out. And he told me that, but he told me, he said, I got six works going now. One gospel tract, six works going. And so I could not do it the following Sunday. I was out of town. I didn't want to preach at 4 o'clock in the morning in the motel room. So this following weekend, we did, we communicated He called me that morning just after four o'clock, a few minutes after four, and said, you ready, Rev? And I said, I'm ready. And so he said, I'm going to have one song in prayer. I'll call you in about seven or eight minutes, and you'll be ready to preach to us. And they'd brought all six of those works together, outside gathering, put a phone line to a PA system, and I sat there in my study, about 4.20 to 5 o'clock in the morning, and preach their Sunday morning service in Nigeria for those works. The effect of one track. And I don't boast on myself to say that. I'm just telling you, it works. It's like the old fellow that got a track and uh, he got saved. And uh, somebody asked him uh, how it worked. And he said, that thing tracked me. He said, it tracked me to the barn. tracked me to the field. It tracked me to the house. Everywhere I went, it tracked me. And he said, finally, I got saved. It tracked me to, to God. I got saved. And then he said, it's tracking my wife now. <laughs> but no, tracking does work. Thank God for it. Well, let's stand together, if you would, please. Your Bible open in verses number, I, I'm going to begin again at verse number one and read down through this to verse number seven in 2 Corinthians chapter number eight. And because of the hour that's here, I've already expressed my appreciation for Dr. Wade too, Brother uh, David, but I do have high regard for the memory of Brother Thurman Wade. I pray for the home office workers. I got to put you on there. I pray for, not just home office, I pray for Brother Cottle. I pray for Brother Wade, his wife. I pray for Brother Campbell. I pray for Brother Finley. Who else do I pray for down there? Brother Kindheart? Brother Hamby? That's, that's a, I, I come out of Canada praying for Jason and his wife. Then I jump down there and pray for the that staff, and then I pray for the Macedonia staff. I pray for the BIMI staff. I pray for the Rock of Ages staff. I pray for the Baptist staff. I'm not boasting. It don't take long to pray. You can pray wide and quick. Learn to, learn to pray in shorthand, just you know. God knows what blessing means, so pray for him. Pray for him. I pray for, I pray for a number of printing ministers. I'm going to, pray, David, add you on that prayer list. You won't care, will you? All right? Amen. He wouldn't care if you prayed for him as well. Second Corinthians chapter number eight. What a great crowd here tonight, preacher. Amen. I'm sure thankful for you coming back. I go to some churches, and there's hardly sitting room on Sunday morning, and there's laying down room Sunday night. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter eight, verse number one. The Bible said, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia. Having in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. And their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying to us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. This they did not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God." In so much that we desired, taught us that as he had begun, so it also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Let's stop there for time's sake. We'll deal with the rest of those verses in the message tonight. Keep your Bible open. Let's bow our heads and hearts for a moment of prayer been the study from the Word of God. Our preachers, Heavenly Father, again the Lord this evening in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bow before you to pray. Father, I do want to say again, thank you. You let me be born in America. You let me hear the gospel. You saved me with the marvelous grace of God. Lord, I could have been one of those that's still waiting in heathen darkness, but in your mercy, you let me hear. Lord, you... Touch my life and you save me by the grace of God. Then, Lord, you call me to preach. You put me in the ministry. You've kept me there all these years and you've given me great joy, victory, and knowing and serving you. Father, I pray tonight you'll make us conscious. Oh God, even Father, would you burden us, Lord, for a world that has not the gospel? A world, dear Lord, multitudes got out of bed this morning with no church to attend, no preacher to preach to them, no Bible to read no saints involved in their life, even to witness to them. Lord, many today are like the city of Nineveh. Though we often call it a wicked city, God, you called it a great city four times. And as soon as the preacher got there, Nineveh got saved. Oh, God, would you raise a question mark in our life tonight, in our hearts, how many cities like Nineveh are waiting on the preacher to come? Lord, I pray in this service right here tonight, you will speak to somebody about going. You'll preach, speak to others about praying and giving. Do that, oh God, in all of our lives that need to be done. Help us to know your will for our lives in the area of missions. Do what you want to do, do what needs to be done. And for what you do, I'll praise you and thank you and bless you for it, dear Lord. Because I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, maybe. See that? Do keep your Bible open, please, for the study of the Word of God. Because I wanted to get that closing section in this morning, I skipped over this last part of this chapter number eight study. But I want to go back tonight and pick it up with just a brief review as to what we have here in this chapter. Let me point out a word I did not point out earlier. Look at your Bible in verse number one. The Bible said, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. That little word wit gets my attention. Now, I doubt anybody here has used that word all day. Of course, it's an abbreviated form of the word witness, but it's not like preacher would say, now be sure and be a witness to somebody this week. It is what you and I would call an eyewitness, but it's an eyewitness with a purpose. God's wanting to teach us a lesson by observing that lesson in someone else's life. I want you to think about this, and this is kind of humbling for us to have to say but Brother Cofill, most of what I know about the Bible and most of where I stand about the Bible, I could not say that I found it on my own or God gave it all to me. You know what happens? God has a way of allowing Christians who are ahead of us to come into our life and manifest his grace through them and we see that grace of God and God teaches us by object lesson what he wants to do in our life. That is the word that is used here. I pointed out to you very briefly last night. There is something that's called in verse number two, a great trial of affliction. We do believe it's a famine. And the churches of Macedonia, which at that time would have been Thessalonica and the church of the Lord there at Philippi. Then the church at Corinth, all three of those churches are involved in this situation The churches of Macedonia and the church at Corinth face a situation in a famine of probably three months and basically no income. What are we going to do? The Corinthian church, and I'm just making this in a practical way. The Corinthian church, as we would do today, has a men's meeting and their bottom line was let's stop giving the missions. Let's try to get through this ourselves. Let's make it through it and then. And I want to emphasize they're depending on their own ability, their own knowledge, their own self. Let's do this. Let us do this. Let us do this. Let us do that. So they enter into the famine with that situation, and they they discover they have no money to give to missions. They discover, to use our language, they can't even pay the bills. And they discover then that the church is dying. It's going down. But the churches of Macedonia, they have their men's meeting, if I may use that term, and they come out of it with these words that hurt us. I'm telling you, I say this about every week of my life, and it still hurts me inside. They said, let's trust God. That may not bother you, but it bothers me. Let's believe God. You know, what? I come to this summarization, preacher, we got a God that can do anything as long as we don't need anything. But if we need something, we got to help him out. We got to figure it out. What happened to trusting God? Well, the Macedonians said, let's trust God. And because of that, God honors them. They keep giving the missions, and they're rejoicing. They're shouting it out. And the Corinthians approach the Apostle Paul as if to say, What's going on? Why is it? We don't have any money. We can't give the missions, and the church is dying. And just across the state line, if I can use that word, are the Macedonian churches and they're thriving in the same famine. They approached Paul with that. Paul, so said, let's look. Paul said, let's look at what they're doing and then learn from there. I'm repeating, but it won't hurt for a moment. I pointed out to you, Paul points out to them an example in verses number five first, how that they were willing to give their person to the Lord first. Then in verse number two, we learn they were willing to give out of their poverty. And by the way, if you don't learn to give something where you're at now financially, you probably never will have anything to give. You're waiting to you get rich, you probably never make it. You're waiting you win the lottery. Why, I hate to tell you, but Christians don't play lottery. I don't hate to tell you that either. Your rich uncle's not going to leave it to you. If you do not learn to serve God where you're at with what you've got, God will never give you opportunity to do more for God. So we find here that they were willing, they were willing to give themselves first. of all, They were willing to give out their poverty. They are willing, verse number three, to give beyond their power. They were willing to let God do what they could not do. I'm telling you, that's when it gets exciting when God takes us beyond their self. Then in verse number four, they were willing to give as partners. Now, come back with me just a moment. Look up here. I want to to connect. I hope I can connect and you'll connect with me. That's what's going on in Macedonia. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. They've asked what's going on, and Paul said, here it is. They're willing to give beyond their person first. We're willing to give out their poverty. We're willing to give beyond their power. We're willing to give as partners. Now look at verse number seven. I want you, I'm I'm trying to introduce this thing where you'll catch it all. In verse number seven, your Bible begins with the word therefore. Now look at me moaning. There's a jingle in study in the Bible. I know you know, but I want to repeat it anyway. When you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you're supposed to stop and see what it's there for. Because therefore is always there for a purpose. Here's what it means stop, review. And proceed in the light of what's just happened or what's just been spoken. I thought about this, Brother Cofield, and I'm not changing our King James Bible. All right, everybody with me? It don't need changing, don't need correcting. But can I put a Georgia word there where we have therefore? Here's what Corinthians, Here's what is doing. They gave out of their poverty, they gave beyond their power, they gave as partners, they gave their person first, and what God's blessing. It's like Paul turns to them like you and I would speak and said, now then. Here's what they're doing. Now then, let's look at Corinth. And I want you to listen as Paul deals with a giving situation there in the city of Corinth and the church there at Corinth. He begins, and well, here's a great pattern. He begins by commending them. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence. But then he goes from commending them to commanding them. He said, see that you abound in this grace also. Could I bring this into today's church language? As we would speak about church, I would say to you, pastor, and to your people, and I'm I'm not slamming on the end when I make my point, but I would say to you, you got a great Sunday school program, you got a great senior saint program, you got a great music program, you got a great youth program, you got a great on and on, but you're weak in missions. What he's saying is now, don't bring those other programs down to the level of missions, but work on missions and bring it up to the level of excellence that you have in the other programs. Paul said, You're good in a lot of areas, Corinth, but you're weak in missions. Work on it. Work on it. I love this. Paul is writing this letter. As he's writing the letter, he's not present with them, but his mind is. You know, if you study your Bible, the church at Corinth is probably the most emotional church in the Bible. Paul, if you know your Bible, spent 18 months starting this church and preaching to them, pastoring to them. You know what that means? In 18 months, and I use one of our own gestures of our day, he knew where everybody sat. You know, somewhere in the Bible, I know it says it, but it says thou shalt sit in the same pew all the time. <laughs> Maybe the second book of ignorance, I'm not sure what chapter and verse, but anyway, and I'm not against you sitting in the same place. But Pastor Covin, you've been here a lot longer than that. But if you were, To have to miss a Sunday. You call Brother Jason or he came by the house and you'd say to him, Jason, how'd it go? He'd say, Daddy, it got on. In your mind, you start scanning, getting on in different people's lives. If it gets on for some, it's a raise a hand. For some, it may be a hallelujah. Some, it may be tears dropping off their cheeks. Some, it may be, I don't know in this place, but some, it might be a woo! Different people respond different to getting on. But Paul is sitting over there watching them in his mind as they read this about the churches at Thessalonica and the church at Philippi. And Paul could see some of them in his mind when they said, you know, boy, they gave their person first to the Lord. Amen. They're willing to give out their power. Glory to God. They're willing to give out their poverty. Praise the Lord. and They're willing to give his partners. You know, Amen. Then Paul goes to remember not everybody is going to get on board. That's true in a lot of churches. Most churches, not everybody's going to get on board. So Paul begins to deal with them that are saying no. It's like it's like Paul in his imagination sees somebody and more than one involved. He's going to say, "Now preacher, it's fine if the Macedonians want to give. But why should we give?" Bring it even down closer. It's fine if the preacher wants to give, or it's fine if someone gives, but why shouldn't we give? Would you be a child with me just a moment? I mean, they got a right hand, raise it up. Come on. Come on. I want you to make an imaginary mark right down beside of you. Don't hit nobody now and get in trouble. Make a mark now. I and mean, they got a left hand, raise it up. Now, the rest of this message, I'm speaking to that person between those two marks you just made. If you hadn't figured it out, I'm preaching to nobody but you. By the way, I did the same gesture, so I'm involved too. Here's a serious question I want to answer with the rest of the message tonight. Preacher, why should I give? Why should I give to missions? And you could preach hours on this, but I'm going to stay with the context and give you four things. Number one, look at your Bible, if you will, please. He said, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others. Here's my first point if you're making notes. Verse number eight, the last part. We're to give to prove the sincerity of our love. You know, you can love, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can't separate them. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Paul is saying to the Corinth church, listen, listen to me, you're, you're writing, go ahead and write. If you're not writing, look this way. Paul is saying... Missionaries can't live on God bless you. We love you. I was preaching up in the northern states some time ago and I made that gesture one night and the missionary was there uh, through the meeting. Got up the next night and did his presentation and he said, Brother Blue, that reminded me. I drove and he told some, several hours he drove and he was to be there in a Sunday morning service. In the Sunday school hour, they gave him some time which uh, to present his work. And so he said, then I listened to the preacher preaching the 11 o'clock hour. They dismissed, church It over, we walked out. And so the preacher walked by and said, God bless you, we love you. Took his wife, went on to the car, got in the car and left. No offering, no meal, no preparation at all made for him. And he said, I'm trying to think, it caught me by surprise. So I'm trying to think, what do I need to do? And what I'm thinking, I look around, I discover everybody's left the parking lot but me. I'm alone in the parking lot. Then I got this thought. He said, I walked over to my car, opened the driver's door, pushed the button, went back and opened the cap off my gas tank and said, God bless you, we love you. And he said, I put my entire offering in the gas tank and it did not move the either. We're laughing and I don't mind that, but I want to tell you missionaries cannot serve God on God bless you, we love you. They don't pay the bills. You think it works on the mission field? Go down to Walmart tomorrow and buy a buggy full of stuff and walk out and say, God bless you, we love you. (laughs) As wide open as Walmart is, they just don't take that card, amen? But we say we love lost souls. I said we, I'm including myself. We say we want the world to hear the gospel. But talk is cheap. When I was a boy growing up in school, and they did have schools when I was a boy, when I was a boy growing up in school, they used to use phrases like this, put your money where your mouth is. They had another one, if you was big enough, you could say, put up or shut up. If you couldn't run faster, you were not pretty big, you better not say that one. I used to kid my wife about this when we were, before the days of cell phone, uh, all these years I've been on the road, we just have a standing date every night, 30 minutes just shortly, uh, well, before bedtime, and that's none of your business when our bedtime is. But anyway, I would call my wife, and I'd tell her, you know, and we'd talk a while, and I'd say, I love you. And you know how sometimes, hey, you have to fish it out of them? I would never say my wife doesn't work. I would just simply say her boss don't pay. She's a housewife. I'm the source of income at our house. So but what if I call my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you. But when this meeting's over, I leave here and I go to another meeting. I don't go home, I don't take any money by, no grocery money, no money. I love you, I love you. I can hear her right now and she's probably listening, probably watching. I'm in trouble. My wife can say why don't you act like it? Paul is literally saying to these Corinthian believers, you say you love the Lord. You say you love lost souls. You say you want them to hear the gospel. Why don't you act like it? Put your money where your mouth is. Amen. Let God use you in that area. So we have to prove the sincerity of our love. Number two, look at your Bible in verse 9. Let me go ahead and tell you the point, then I'm going to read it. We're to give not only to prove sincere love, but we're to give to practice Christ's likeness. Look at verse number nine. The Bible said, for you know the race of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, let me deal with that verse just a moment. I say we give to practice Christ's likeness. Try to stay out of trouble, Brother Cofield, but this is a verse I just can't hardly stay out of trouble in. I get in trouble in this, but come on, stay with me. and Help me and have mercy on me. You know, for the Baptist churches like ours, and I like it. Please understand, I like it. I love shouting. I love to see it get on. I love see folks getting excited. I love it. He said, it makes me nervous. There's a cure for that. The altar's open. Amen. <laughs> But what I'm saying is shouting doesn't make you Christ-like. I've never read in this King James Bible, Brother David, where Christ ever shouted. Shouting is emotions. And there's really two ends of that spectrum of emotions. One end is shouting, one end is pouting. They're on the same route. One is get mad, get glad. So emotions... Just shouting proves you're emotional and I'm not against that. I love it. But it don't mean you're doing what Christ did because I never read where he ever shouted. I never read in the Bible and here's the tough one. I never read in the Bible where Jesus ever sang a special. Now I love special singing. I used to sing till I preached so much to the Baptist I lost my singing voice. I still get a request every once in a while they want me to sing on a hill far away. I was preaching in the Smokies, Brother Copeland, they wanted me to sing on top of old <laughs> But uh, it just, you know, special singing, I never heard the word Jesus ever sing special. And I love it, and I don't get upset at me. Special singing proves you got talent. Or fill in the blank. Sometimes I've been there. When I get up to sing, it proves you don't have talent. I said, me, now, not you. But I'm simply saying, what is there that Christ did that we can do ourselves? Watch this. He willingly gave up what he had, left his home, come to this world, and died for sinners like you and I who were, and this doesn't really work in our mind, we don't find it, who really were without hope. But he came and gave his life, took our sins, died our death, gave his life that we could be saved by the grace of God. Now I want to say this, I am confident it's not yet registered on us what it's going to be like. And I don't make this statement. I am convinced, Brother that somewhere at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be a missions report. I believe churches will have to give an account for how they've responded to the Great Commission. I believe missionaries will give account to their supporting churches for what they did with the support they got. I'm talking, I'm not talking about every dime and dollar, but I'm talking about in the general work they were doing. Did they honor God, the obeying God? That's gonna come out in the judgment seat of Christ. But I'm saying to you that you and I, who are here in this part of the world and never get to go out of it don't understand but we're going to meet some people brother david you'll meet people and and uh, i'm just using you because you're here but people that have read those tracks and god knows god knows who gave so you could print them and god knows how they got there and god knows who gave them out but to meet somebody can you imagine your missionaries coming up to you and uh, And uh, those that have gone to the foreign field and planted churches and say, Brother Colfield, Whitfield Baptist Church, I want to thank you for supporting me. And I want to share the fruit with you that together we, the church and I, gleaned in the harvest of God. And for the first time, we'll see people that would have gone to hell. Can you imagine somebody from a heathen field? And I use that word maybe lightly. All of us are heathen outside the Lord. Can you imagine somebody coming up with awareness and saying to you, Preacher Cofield, i just thinking. If it hadn't been for churches like Whitfield Baptist Church and the people in those churches giving and sending us a missionary, instead of being here at the judgment seat of Christ, I'd be at the great white throne judgment later. Instead of going to heaven, I'd be fixing to be cast into the flames of hell fire. Brother Cofield, I want to thank you, your church, for loving, for praying, not in word only, but for giving that we could hear the gospel. We don't fathom that yet. I'm telling you, there will be people at the judgment seat of Christ that never would have heard the gospel if you hadn't sent a missionary. God gets the glory, but you are involved in it with God. And so, you see, it makes us like Christ. We're Christ-like. We, we give to prove sincere of love. We give to practice Christ's likeness. When I look at the third thing in verse number 10 and 11, we not only give to prove sincere of love, we give to practice Christ's likeness, but we give to perform a promise. I did not know it. I was preaching way down on the east coast in Florida, way on down the country, and there was a pastor there, a preacher, a visiting pastor, had said to the pastor I was with, If anybody can show me faith promise in the Bible, then I'll believe it. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that. This is just part of my study. When I got through here, he come up and said, I see it. Now here's faith promise laid out. Look at your Bible, verse number 10. And here I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. Now watch your wording carefully. Who have begun before not only to do but also to be forward a year ago. Now, I want to look at that last those last few words there, three things. Something happened a year ago. Everybody see that? When that something happened, the church at Corinth responds in two ways. Number one, they gave something, then they begin to do. They did something immediately. But then they begin to be forward. They made a commitment by faith. If we will come back next year, we'll have something ready for you. You see, they had no mailing system, they had no banking system, and the majority of what they were going to give would not be just money but goods as well. And so travel was limited. Paul had to spend winters at places. And you study the Bible, have no problem finding it. And so here they are, and it's like, I really put it, it's like. They got up and said, let's take an offering. Let's help them. Or they just started bringing money in and gave an offer. That's beginning to do. But when they got through doing that, it's like a question is raised up or asked, can these men come back next year? Why next year? Well, this need's going to go on. They'll come back next year. We'll have something ready for them. You see the faith promise commitment? They began to do it a year ago. They did something, and they did a commitment By faith. I'm glad, preacher, that in our society, we don't have to bring our missionaries off the field every year and give them another year's support. I'm glad we don't have to, uh, you know, tell them, well, here's a month's support. Come by next month, we'll give you another one. You see, what I'm saying is this. We, you talk about faith, and faith honors God. We make a commitment ourselves by faith. By the help of the Lord, we're going to give X dollars a week. A month commissions, we make that commitment by faith. Can I get an amen? amen? Then the church makes a commitment by faith. We're going to take them on. Amen. And the missionary makes a commitment by faith. If a member's going to give by faith, the church's going to take me on by faith. Then I'm going to the field by faith. Amen. And the whole operation is a work of faith. And God honors faith. So we see here the church at Corinth, they gave something immediately, but they also were forward. They made a commitment by faith. Come back next year, we'll have something ready for you. Now look at the next verse, concluding that part of our study. Now therefore, the year's gone. Now therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you. Let me make that in plain language. Paul said as he's writing to those Corinthians, Paul said to them, you said you would last year. You said you'd have it ready. The year's gone. I'm coming back. Get it ready. Get it ready. Now, there's a great question here all I hear asked quite often. Do we give it out of what we got or do we wait on God to send it in? Both. You give it out of what you got, and God gives it back. Sometimes God does send it in for it's time to give. Paul said, give it out of what you got. See, there's a law of sowing and reaping in this Bible. And God likens our giving to sowing, our receiving to reaping. And here's what God teaches us in that law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap that you sow. You reap more than you sow, but you reap according to how much you sow. Paul said, you made the promise. You've got it. God's provided it. Fulfill." I promise, faith, promise, commitment made in those verses. Now notice the third thing, fourth thing. Not only we give to prove sincere love, we give to practice Christ's likeness, we give to perform a promise. But look at verse number 14 and verse number 15, 13 and 14. He said, for I mean not that other men be eased and you be burdened, but by an equality that now this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over and he that given, gathered little had no lack. Look at verse 13. i I'm got this in there. Let me give you the note and then you write it down and we'll deal with it. Not only give to prove the sincere love, we're to give to practice Christ's likeness, we're to give to perform a promise, but we're to give to prevent inequality. I ask a question. I want you to think about it. Is it right because God calls a family to the mission field? Is it right? for them to live in poverty while we live in luxury? Is that the kind of God you know? If it is, I'd like to introduce you to the God of the Bible. God lets some of us stay here and work and give. And we become laborers together. Their fruit is our fruit. Their reward is our reward. When he said in verse number 13, and I'm glad this verse is in there, he said, I." mean not that other men be eased and you be burdened. What it's literally saying there is we're not asking you to support some deadbeat. We're not asking you to relieve somebody of the financial responsibility of to taking together their family so they can be a deadbeat. No, but we're letting you help them now. Look at verse number 14. But by inequality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be inequality. Now, here's what God is saying. You, the church at Corinth, and can I say you, the church at Whitfield, you have something the missionary needs. Now, I'm aware of the fact we're professional poor mothers. I won't go into detail there, but we're professional poor mothers. We're having it rough, and somebody may be, and I'm not belittling that if you are. But most of us are living probably better than we've ever lived. Amen. Look how good God is to us. Paul is saying the missionary needs some money, church, and you got some. So you help them now meet their need. I had no problem with that. But I'm telling you, when he turns it over and goes to the next phrase, I ran into a problem. He said that now, this time, your abundance will be a supply for the missionaries' want. Then he said, their abundance will be a supply for your want. I don't mean to sound wrong, I'm just being open and honest with you. My thought was, what in the world is a missionary going to have that I'm going to need? Most missionaries I know do not have much money, not what we're talking about giving here. What are we going to do? What is he speaking about? Well, let me tell you what it is. You see, we help the missionary now financially. He helps us at the judgment seat of Christ with fruit. Brother Wade mentioned it a while ago, it's been mentioned before, I'm not belittling <laughs> your statement making it, but their fruit becomes your fruit the giver shares equally with the goer is that a word (laughs) goer then they go their fruit becomes our fruit at the judgment seat of Christ I was preaching a meeting in Fort Pierce Florida several years ago it was right after the Berlin Wall came down and former Soviet Union divided up into small countries independent countries again and when that happened, Brother Coffin, you may know of this story, but when that happened, there was a group of Baptist preachers flew over there and divided up into teams of two and went to about several cities, big cities throughout the former Soviet Union and preached revivals two weeks. When it was over with, they came back together and as they got ready to come back to the States, they tied it up. And in two weeks' time, they had saw 2,002 people saved. That particular Sunday morning there in Fort Pierce, Florida, one of those preachers was in the service. He took the Sunday school hour and gave a report told about what happened in it. And then I get to this point. He's sitting back here on my left in that particular service and we always do these things unrehearsed, you know, just all of a sudden they pop up. You know how preachers do things. I look back at him and I said, well, Stephen, let me ask you a question. Did you say you went halfway around the world and won 1,000 people a week, 2,000, 2 weeks, 1,000 people a week to the Lord, you and your team? yes, sir. I want to ask you a question. How much do you get paid to do that? He looked at me that I said, I just want you to tell out loud, tell the people who paid you and how much they paid you to go over there and win a thousand people a week to God. He said, What I knew was right. He said, Preacher Bloom, nobody gave me anything, and I knew that was the answer. I said, Now wait a minute. You went halfway around the world, had a thousand people saved, and didn't make any money. Sitting over on the left-hand side of the building was a friend of mine there from Bureau uh, Beach, Florida. Had a small grove and processing place there. I looked over at Brother Dewey and I said, Brother Dewey, have you ever had a 1000 saved a week? He said, no. I said, I don't want to embarrass you. Have you ever made $1,000 a week? And he said, many times. I said, oh, wait a minute. Here's a man who can make money and don't see anybody saved. Here's a man who can see people saved but don't make any money. What are we going to do? Are we going to let our brother over here have it all now and be empty handed at the judgment seat of Christ? Are we going to let our missionary brother be empty handed now and have it all at the judgment seat of Christ? No, a thousand times no. We who stay here and give, we who stay here and earn wages are going to give and help them now financially. And at the judgment seat of Christ At the judgment seat of Christ, their fruit becomes our fruit. They share with us fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. So, preacher, why should I give? Why do I give? I give to prove the sincerity of my love. I give to practice real Christ likeness. I give to perform a promise, and I give to prevent inequality. I make this statement. Now, don't give it. This is not an excuse for being lazy. It's not an excuse to not be giving out gospel tracts and be witnessing. Brother Colfield, I'm grateful to God that I'm going to have more fruit at the judgment seat of Christ than I personally have led to the Lord myself. I've had parts and others through missions, through giving, through praying, many ways. But we give to prevent inequality. God lets us who stay home and work give. And the church and the missionary and God perform a holy triangle of labors together with God Brother Roloff used the last verse I read verse number 15 rather often and uh, the Bible said "He that as it's written he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack can I give you Brother Roloff's statement on that? Brother Roloff said I want to do my giving while I'm a living so I'll be a knowing where it's a going you see we have an opportunity of investing of investing 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 and by investing, we will receive blessings and reward now. Blessings and reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So I want to just say this. Don't pray so much, Lord, what do you want me to give this meeting? Lord, what do you want me to invest? What do you want to trust me to invest in this meeting, giving to the mission program of this local church? So here we see. The churches of Macedonia Paul said they gave their person first to the Lord. They gave out of their poverty. They gave beyond their power. They gave his partners. And then he turns around and he deals with the Corinthian church. Tells him they should give to prove the sincerity of the love to practice Christ's likeness to perform a promise and to prevent inequality. Let me close by making this statement. Please hear what I'm saying. I know we're The church is made up preacher of a number of individuals but we also are a body. The church is a body and at the judgment seat of Christ we're going to discover yes there will be personal accounting but there's going to be collective accounting where what we did and the work of God in missions through the church to get the gospel to the lost and dying. I challenge you look forward to Wednesday night with great prayer. Lord what do you want me to do? And whatever God tells you to do, can I remind you again, God's already got it prepared. God's got it waiting on you to claim it and accept it by faith. And God will not let you out give him his spoons bigger than your shovel. Let's stand together, please. Our musicians are coming. Verse of invitation. And you'll be obedient to God tonight. Be obedient to God tonight. I want to say again, if you're unsafe, we don't want to overlook you. If you're out of the will of God, we don't want to overlook you. If you as a member of the church have any need in your life, you come to the altar. We don't want to overlook you. Brother Cofield, I'm going to pray, and you just step up and take the service and go with the invitation as you are led to do so. Father, thank you again. Lord, you saved me when I was nine years old. You called me to preach at age 18. You put me in the ministry. You have kept me there. Lord, when I was 32 years old, you introduced me to faith, promise, giving. Now, outside of being saved and being called to preach, Lord, this matter of giving the faith has been the third greatest thing in my life. What a difference it's made in my life, my family's life, Lord, many others. I pray tonight that the Spirit of God will work greatly in the life of this people. Show them in a specific manner what you want them to do. And Lord, I pray that by faith, by grace, by faith, they'll take the challenge, trust you, and be obedient.